Wednesday night, I started talking a little bit about the gift, and we talked about how we're about to all receive presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, but I said, what would it be like to receive the presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, the presence of God, the Word of God, what would that look like to receive that every second you breathe? You know it's possible too, because he just gives the invitation, and he steps back, and he says, and he watches, and he goes, I know those that love me, I know those that will come to me. He loves us all, but he's looking for a type of people. He's looking for a very particular type kind of follower who worship in spirit and truth. Not one who worships in flesh and truth, but one who worships in spirit and truth. Paul Peter talked about a kind of faith, which is the same kind of John and Paul and the other guys. as a kind. See, we're made in the image. We're made in a kind of. And so more and more, we must become more of that kind and that ultimately ends, starts and ends in a position of oneness of spirit, where you can know things, all things, because that's the role of the spirit. You see, Christ was the gift. He is the eternal gift. The problem with temporal gifts is they perish, don't they? How many can remember what you got 10 years ago for Christmas? And are you still using it? See, these are all temporal, these fade. It started off the iPhone, and it started, and it was amazing, wasn't it? And now we're up to number, what, 13? Who can remember what it was like to have one? Oh, boring, man, can I do some things? See, it's all growing, but it's ultimately all perishing and fading. But the eternal gift is as alive today as it was in the beginning. And it never fades. It's always growing, it's always coming, it's always growing in nature in us. Because he is this eternal gift. But there's two things we need to realize about the eternal gift. Number one, and these are just two thoughts today, and we're just going to go to two scriptures. Number one, the eternal gift doesn't come in a package we may think. The eternal gift doesn't come in the package that we may think. That's really important. And secondly, it's always giving because it's eternal, not temporal. You see, you can have an image of Jesus as this cute little baby that was born in a manger, and we set up this beautiful nativity scene, and we all go, ah, that's so cute, so gorgeous. And I'm not knocking nativity scenes. But we can actually formulate a very Hollywood version, a very emotional version of this reality, and miss the entirety of a baby that was going to pierce everyone's heart. And so you have this picture of Jesus, this little away in a manger, da-da-da-da-da-da. And then the real Jesus turns up. Not peace, but a sword. That's right. A baby with a sword. He says, what are you going to do with that? I'm going to stick it in you. And it's going to challenge every thought and every attitude of your heart, mum and dad. You see, sometimes he'll turn up and he turns up in a, in a present-like form that you may not understand at all. And here's the scary thing. You can reject the present. You can reject the eternal gift because it doesn't come wrapped the way you think. You see, kings aren't born in mangers. They're born in palaces. Kings don't hang out in the wilderness. They live in palaces and temples. Well, not this king, not this baby. He didn't come the way we expect. And so often or not, the eternal gift, if you want to know more of it, isn't going to come the way you expect. 
which means you have to have ears to hear and eyes to see of an unseen realm to be able to receive the gift in a way that you may never have before. You see, when you receive Jesus, it is just the start. And unfortunately, too many have made it the end. We think all this is about is not going to an eternal damnation place called hell, then the lake of fire, but that is just the start. And then we build a camp around the start and make it the end, and we make it the means, and we miss the end. Because that was purely just a means to a much greater end. And this gift wants to bring us into an eternal life of an overflowing life, firstly in you and then out of you. And it is a full life and it's an overflowing life. The Bible says we're to be more than conquerors. It says we're to be the overcoming people, not through our flesh, because we don't worship in flesh and truth, we worship in spirit and truth, which means out of us comes Christ-likeness into the earth. That is the entire purpose of God, to get Christ-likeness in his church, out of his church, into the earth, that the Father may be glorified. That is why God has given you and I life. It's not to sit there and worship ourselves and build our own families. It's to be built as the family of God and to worship the father of the family and see his father extend into this earth. My life no longer exists. My life is hidden in Christ. You no longer see Greg Sim nor the old life. I'm a brand new creature in Christ and that life is hidden in the Christ and the Christ in me. So hopefully what comes out of me is the word, not Greg. See, I'm learning to, <laughs> thanks Warren, hopefully, I'm learning to unpack and unravel the eternal gift that I received 22 years ago on the 23rd of December at 10 a.m. in my workplace in Rebel Sport in the James Smith building. And for 22 years, I've been unraveling this eternal gift that never runs dry, never runs out, always overflowing. It's full of joy, full of peace, full of life, full of rest, and it's in me. And it's getting greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. And I look and I read this and I go, this is my testimony. And he wants it to be your testimony. And the question he says, do you believe it can be your testimony? And if you truly believe that, what are you prepared to do about that? You see, because it doesn't just fall on your lap. You can't just stay in the knowledge you had yesterday. Too many Christians are living their life on knowledge, knowledge that is good, but it's old, manna. It has got you this far, but it's not going to take you further. Hear what I'm saying? It's not wrong, it's good, but to go further, you need new manna. And Deuteronomy 8 says, God took his people out of a land, he starved them from a particular food they were eating. Why? So they would know that they can't live on that stuff, and man must live on the word of God. And Jeremiah says, well, what don't you know and what do you want to know? Because you don't yet know as you ought to know, Greg. So do you want to know? But see, Jesus comes in a package that we may not like at times, but we need to love. Yes? And when love speaks, he speaks from love, for love, for the purpose of seeing you and I become love and become the radiance of his glory. Hence, we've been called to be covenant ministers of glory, 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul said everything's momentary light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that's being formed within me. 
So smash me, beat me, boil me, put me in fire. It's all momentary like nothing compared to something. And you have to have the compared to something for that to be momentary light affliction, don't you? Otherwise, it's all heavy doom and gloom. And it's a woe me. But God says, well, how much do you want of me? Because you can have it all of me so you can live an all-conquering life in me. But when I come, I'm going to come like a sword because I didn't come to bring peace on this earth. Whoa, I thought he was peace. He is peace, but he comes to bring his peace, not a false peace. I don't come to bring happiness, I come to bring joy. Whoa, hold on a minute, Christmas times is time for happy. Yeah, it might be, but is there something greater called joy in you? You see, there's this incredible prophecy. Let's go have a look at it in Luke 2. And this man called Simeon, he speaks this incredible word and everyone's excited until the next verse. (laughs) And that can be us. We get all excited about the prophetic word and it sounds awesome and we give a yes and an amen and hurrah, hurrah, and then it goes knock, knock, knock. It's time to that in your heart. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't know that was the prophetic word. I don't know if I like this Jesus dude sort of. In fact, it's not even Jesus. It's the guy speaking or the girl speaking. And that's how you worm your way out of the word. You make it about the one bringing the word. That's such a dangerous thing to do. And you may do it and never realize you do it. And you say, oh, God said, God led. It's the greatest way to get out of what the word wants to do within you. Don't do it. Stand there and ask the Spirit of God, is this you? And if it is, he will make it real clear. So let's go. Luke 2 verses, where are we going to start? Let's go 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He was told the future. Are you being told the future? You can know the future. Why? Because it's written. It is written. Who else knows the future? Your adversary. If you don't know the future and he knows the future, do you reckon he can deceive you? out of the future, if you don't know the future. Do you know what happens when you don't know the future? You create your own future. But the future's already written. So you can't win that battle, can you? If the enemy knows the future, and Jesus knows the future, and you don't, then you need to know the future. Because everything is written. That means he can throw you a curveball and say, no, that won't happen. You see, God gives us conclusions. He says, if you eat this tree, you will surely die. The enemy comes along and goes, you will surely not die if you eat that tree. Let me give you another conclusion. Let me give you my version of what's written. And you go, well, I don't know what's written, so who am I going to believe? And he's so subtle, because we all go, oh, I believe God, really? Well, Eve didn't. And so here's a man who knows the future. How did he know the future? Chris? Holy Spirit told him the future. What's the Holy Spirit telling you about the future, guys? How much do you not know today which you can know because the Holy Spirit's going to teach you what you know? Well, Greg, I'm just living on 20 years, Mana, previous. Great, cool, but there's more. 20 years, that's probably going to be stale by now if it's not alive and living in you. 
There is fresh manna every day, and we are to know what's contained, what is written. For it is written for you that you would know all the mysteries of the kingdom. That's why God and the Jews have preserved this incredible living scriptures that are spirit and life, not flesh and truth, for us to know. So this man knows he's about to see and he's about to give testimony to who? The salvation of the Jews. He goes on, he says, And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace according to your word. Everything has to happen according to the word, not our good ideas. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Do you know Jesus is the modern day ark? So Noah built an ark to save people, did he not? Jesus is your modern day ark who wants to bring you into complete salvation. Not just save your spirit from going to hell. He wants to save your spirit, soul, body, so you can demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God on this earth. He wants to save every part of your mind, every part of your heart, every emotion you have. He wants to give you a brand new will. He wants to give you a brand new life and save you completely so you cannot be who you once were and live who you were called to be. Now that's a vision worth living for, isn't it? You see, it says young men will see visions. Have you seen that vision of yourself yet? I have. Are you dreaming these as dreams that this is possible for you to connect into a body and live this reality out? Because why? Because you have been given the eternal gift and you are unwrapping it every day upon day because man cannot live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man, it's the best present ever. And yet it sits on most people's shelves and have no knowledge of what's contained in the Christ, the eternal gift. And we just live from, well, I'm saved and that's okay and I'm not going to hell. Well, that's good news and that's cool, but man, that is minuscule compared to what you can know and what you've been called to live now and in the future. You're called to reign with Christ. You're called to judge the angels. You're called to judge the world. When? What are you talking about? Show me where that is, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3. Go to Revelation and have a good time in there and eat. You want to sit with him on his throne, with him on his throne, not next to him on another throne, but with him on his throne like a couple. Wow, what's that? That's the eternal gift. Problem is it's all concealed in a spiritual realm that sits right here, right in front of you today. I'm speaking of it, but can you hear it in a way that you're going to do something about it? And drop your life that too many of us are holding on to because we think it has value. That's the problem. We actually think our lives are valuable because we don't know how great his life for us is. So we ask him to polish up our life. He's saying, I come to bring you a brand new vase. (laughs) Why don't you take a brand new vase this year? Smash the old one. And let it be broken into pieces rather than just dented and chipped so you continue to get back up and live. And he's about to release this prophetic utterance into the word of an eight-day-old child. 
Jesus is going to go from being this lovely, cuddly little baby to a royal king with a big sword. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. You can see him from here or you can see him from here. Which one are you seeing him by? This man saw him from his heart. Even though his physical eyes saw the baby, he's seeing from his heart. He knows a reality in here. Which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. That's my boy. That's our little boy, man. This is going to be so cool. Not their boy, my boy. It's okay to be that, isn't it? A little bit. Then the big mic drop's about to come. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed to fall and rise on, of many, sorry, the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You see, he doesn't come the way we think. He comes at times, this eternal gift can turn up, and he comes to do a powerful work in you. He comes to separate what? Soul, spirit. He comes to judge the thoughts and attitudes, not in your mind, of your heart, which the Bible says is wicked. Who can, lean, who can know it? Understanding starts where? In the mind or the heart. In the heart, because everything in God is back to front to the earth. The earth, his understanding starts in the mind. This is the powerhouse of man. This is stupid if it's not defined by the heart spirit revealing it. This will tell you one thing which is opposite to what he will tell you. And so God comes to the center piece, the center point, the anchor point of man and goes, I love you as a whole. Now I want to do a work within you. And your willingness to receive and allow will determine whether you will live the life that I'm preaching. It'll determine whether you're going to be a woman, a man who walks away or walks into. And I'm not talking about walk away where you're not saved. I'm talking about walk away from your eternal gift and the reward that is on offer for you, through you, in you. Because it is fully possible to walk away from what God has for you, never even knowing it, only to realize at a judgment seat, oh my goodness, I didn't live the life that the scriptures declared I could, and I wasn't fulfilling the word of God. And so God sends people to bring this word to the earth now, so everyone can be made aware of it, so that's not our outcome. So when we turn up at the judgment seat, like Paul, we're anticipating, eagerly waiting for the return to receive the substance of that reward, which is God and what God has pre-already destined for us, which is all that is written in the Scriptures. But the chances or the opportunity we have is, are we going to unpack this eternal gift while we breathe? Or are we just going to stay comfortable with being saved? 
and make it all about reaching lost people who need to get saved. But we're no different to the lost people, really, because we don't know what he came to seek and save all of. We just know a little bit. So God is for lost people. We have to be for lost people. But really, that's not our number one priority. Our number one priority is to fall in love with God, discover what is in God, and to live from relationship with God. And out of that place go into the world, because then you actually have something to actually offer, not just a story about a guy who died on the cross that you really don't know yourself. And your life isn't changing, although you know a story. People want to see changed lives. They just don't want to hear a good story. I love the story, but I don't want to be a person of the words. I want to be a person of the work of the cross. So when the work of the cross goes to work in me, I actually have a story of testimony and change. I was talking to my friend here before, about 22 years ago, I was a messed up, broken person who had zero hope that only lived in darkness. And then I had an encounter in my workplace where love came into my life. And after 22 years, this is the evidence of brokenness to wholeness. And I'm going from greater wholeness to greater wholeness. Why? Not because I'm trying, but because I'm being in Christ. I've learned what it means to worship in the Spirit and receive the Word in Spirit and truth. Not just trying to understand it in my humanity, in my human mind, which is flesh and truth, which profits me nothing, Jesus said, for the flesh profits you nothing. So he turns up. He says it's time to do some deep surgery in the hearts of the church so they can beam on the earth and be the very thing I prophesy they are to be and that we are. Do you want that? Vera does. <laughs> it's massive, eh? But it needs to be massive because he's a massive God. Come with me to John 4. John 4, woman at the well. There came a woman, 7, John 4, 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. She's looking for natural source, isn't she? Question, how much of our time is spent looking for natural food? How much of your life is spent working for natural food compared to eternal water? We need it to live, yep, but it's not where our primary focus is to be, is it? So you have to ask yourself, how much time are you spending partaking of eternal food, the eternal gift, compared to the natural? Someone who has the spirit in them cannot live out the spiritual life if they're not eating the spiritual manna. You're really a natural man or woman who don't and cannot appraise the things of the Spirit. Okay? So you've been given the Holy Spirit to partake of the spiritual manna, not to just keep eating physical manna and not eat spiritual manna. So I'll say that again. Someone who is in Christ that has received the Spirit of Christ, if they're not eating the spiritual food, they will not live like Christ. It's impossible. You will come out especially when you're pressed and things don't go the way you desire them to go. That's called worshipping in flesh and truth. You can do stuff, but it's actually you doing it, not him doing it in you or through you. So this woman is looking for natural 
water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Don't you love it how Jesus engages with her? See, the rich young ruler is the flip side of the story where he rushes to him. He's so excited to get to Jesus. The Bible says he runs up to him and then he runs away from him as quick as he ran up to him because he doesn't get what he wants because the gift and the package didn't come the way he thought. And so this is a really interesting dialogue because Jesus sees, he sees all things and he moves forward to her. Has he not moved forward to us? Before any one of us chose him, we were chosen, were we not? As sinners. See, he's got to come to you. But he comes to you and he says, do you want all of the eternal gift? You tell me how much you want, Danny, and I will respond to what you ask. How much do you want, church? Well, Well, a little bit. Okay, there you go. How much do you want? I want it all. Okay, cool. See, he gives what you're asking. And we're going to look at this. Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See how passionate he is to get his life in her? He will cross and has crossed every human boundary, tradition, commandment, establishment, set up to establish him in the church. So there's no excuses. Can't use any excuse. All the buts have to go out the window because he's made the way. You are way maker, miracle worker. He's done it all. We stop us from our own choices. So he comes to this woman. She says, what are you doing talking to me? This isn't the way this goes down. It says, it is in my kingdom. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, spiritual water, the substance of life. But he says this interesting statement, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him. Now, she's got a knowledge about, hasn't she? If you know the whole story, she says, there's a guy coming, he's the Messiah, and he's sort of turning up sometime. He goes, well, who is it? He even says to her, I am the Messiah. And when she runs away, she, what does she say to her town people? Could this be? That's a problem, isn't it? Jesus says who he is, and you don't hear him, and you go, could this be? There's a difference, see? And so what you're seeing is heaven on earth and earth on earth meeting, having a conversation, and one has no understanding of what the other one is saying, but one has full comprehension of one's life and what they're saying. Now, the church is to be heaven on earth because we are the citizens from heaven on earth. So we are to discern the ways of earth and the things of earth so we can help the people of earth come into the life of heaven. But if you don't know the eternal gift, guess what you're doing? You're like here. You're not asking because you don't know what to ask. 
because you don't know. He says to her, you worship what you don't know. Do you know that you and I can worship what we don't know? You see, you can worship from a place of I know about, but that's not going to change you. It's worshipping from a place of of that changes you and I. See, out of ignorance, we can worship what we actually don't know. We can worship a God we have no real revelation of reference for, but we think we do. But the evidence is in your changed life. That's the marker that you want to judge it by. Is my life changing because the God I say I know says to me the truth will make you free. He says, I build my church through spirit and truth. So if you're actually worshipping me who I really am and you know me, you can never be the same. You will be hungry, you will be thirsty. He says, he who believes in me, if you come to me from your innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. He says this, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. So there's your reference and your measuring stick for whether you're in Christ. And what that is supposed to do is bring you to your knees if that's not your reality and start crying out to God, not talking to God, crying out to God to help and to fill you through biblical repentance, which is not bringing sorrow, it brings joy and life. So now you're able to live and walk in the manner in which Jesus said you can walk. But here's a woman that's got zero concept of that. And guys, this can be the church. Don't look at this woman and think it's not you. Don't look and go, that poor Samaritan woman. This could actually be me. And it can be us. But for the purpose of him giving living water. Because it ends with him saying this, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, meaning the natural, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him, her, a well of water springing up to an eternal life. So the gift is eternal life because Jesus is eternal life. In Christ, does he well up and over and overflow? Yes. So if I'm partaking of this water, Christ in me, then the natural outcome of that from being in Christ is to have water, Christ, flowing up and out of me. No lack. Because God is a God of no lack. And all this is going down, and it's an apostolic confrontation in love with heaven and earth. And this is what the word does. It's happening right now. I can see it in some of you. I can feel it coming from you. You're feeling the weight, not the pressure, the weight of the word. And this is what the word does. It comes, what did I say at the start? And it judges the thoughts and attitudes of what we understand. And it comes to do a work, a deep work of life, not death to braise up an all-conquering, all-overcoming people who the flesh, the adversary in the world, do not touch. But that doesn't happen just because you pray a prayer and say, I'm in Jesus. That happens because you get in Christ. 
through worshipping of spirit and truth, and you are daily partaking of the word of God, which is spirit. And so this is a formational work within your heart and your mind. So then you have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ, and it's maturing and growing because you are partaking continuously of the eternal gift. You are unwrapping it every single minute you breathe. It becomes your number one food source. It becomes your life source, like Colossians 3 verse 4 says. Uh, It says somewhere else, in him my life is in him, for him, and through him. In Acts. And he says, what do you want to do about that? What does it say? If you ask and seek and knock, what are you going to do? What are you finding? You find him, and in him is every hidden treasure and mystery of knowledge of gold. But God's not the God of gold, like tangible gold. It's a gold, gold life, a substance of life you find. And then he says this to this woman. I've spent two years in this. I can see what God is saying here. She says, give me this water then. And what does he say? See, we need to know this. Especially if this is you. What does he say to her? It is so profound. She goes, I want this water. And this can be us. I want the water. I want the water. I'm hearing of something. I have no real comprehension of it. Yet. That's it. So give me the water. He says, good. Go get your husband. What? No, no. Give me the Yeah. Go get your husband. What on earth is he saying? He's saying this. There's a reason why you don't have living water. And if you want the living water, go get the idol that's in your heart. Ooh. What he's really saying this is this. Lady, the reason you have an idol is because you don't know me. You are the God of your life. I'm actually bringing you to that point where you're actually still God. The reason why we have idols if we do is because we're still God. You haven't removed the high place in your heart through the power of God. God comes to remove every high place. Isn't that what he said to the kings? Remove the high place. 39 kings were given the instruction to remove the high place. How many did? Out of 39. Two. Can you tell me who they were? Josiah and Hezekiah. 39 kings are given an instruction from heaven to go remove what is on the high place that God wanted to take out. And what's so important about that high place that 37 kings didn't? We'll do this, 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 and this, but we're not touching that. Who is God of your life really is what he's saying to this woman. You're trying to find a natural solution to a spiritual problem, lady. 
You're trying to fix your inner realm using a man because you're still God. You're on to five. Poor guys. <laughs> She's on to the sixth. And who's the seventh guy that turns up on the scene? And what does seven represent in the Hebrew culture? Perfection. And who's he supposed to be marrying? It's a wedding invitation is what this is really about. I'm the one you've been looking for your entire life, but you have filled your heart because you're still God, because you're still on the throne of your own life. You've created an idol in your life, and I am the gift. I bring the water. If you want what you ask for, go get me yourself and come back with yourself. You know, it doesn't actually ever say whether she did that in the Scriptures. We presume it all ended really well, but it actually really doesn't say that. We add that bit. Other people heard the message, cool, but it never says whether she went and got her husband and brought him back. You see, you can receive the gift at the start, but that doesn't mean you keep unpacking the gift and allow him to do the full work in your heart. You can receive the gift of salvation, justification, and then leave the gift there and live your own life over here. But he says this, Come to me, and I am going to give you something. Learn from me and unyoke yourself from what you've been yoked to, which is you. Here's the problem with many followers. We come to Christ, we receive the free gift, then we leave. And we don't learn. Because the learning is over here, where he is. You see, there's a learning just like we learn in every other area. There's a learning. What am I learning? I'm learning who he is through revelation. I'm learning who I am through revelation. I'm learning his purposes and his dreams and his will through revelation. I'm learning his will through revelation. I'm learning everything that's written through revelation. So then that is within me. So then I live and walk in the manner in which he walked. Because I'm eating and partaking of the eternal gift. But how many people know that lady was confronted with an apostolic confrontation on earth to go, you say you want heaven, now you're going to be tested as to whether what you say is what you say. God also says, my people, they honor me with their lips then they remove their heart far from me. He then says their reverence for me is in tradition learnt by rote. And then when I turn up in front of them because they've asked me to, then they actually slide back and away from and deny the power, which is Christ, the Word of God. So they have a form of godliness, but not godliness. They're always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. And so they stay the same. And that's not what he wants, is it? So he's not this little baby that comes in a nice little comfy manger that we round wrap. He's a baby that was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. He then grows to be mature in what? Two things. Wisdom. Stature, favor, the truth. He becomes the representation of his father on the earth. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. 
And then he's looking for disciples, followers who want to actually be like him, not as good as the teacher, but like him. And he wants to impart his authority and power in us that we can represent heaven on earth. But before any of that can happen, there needs to be a transaction between what's really stopping us receiving that reality and receiving it. And that's what holds many followers back, guys. Many followers are held back. Not because God's holding them back. Because you hold yourself back. And the challenge is, we may not even be aware we do it. And so we've got to go and ask the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, are there things in my life that are holding me back? Do I have idols? Am I still on the seat of my own throne? Am I still the God of my own life? I'm not experiencing new life. You promise it. Maybe I could be. Show me if I am so I can repent and turn back to you. We never leave Christ. I've never left him the day he came into me. Never. I don't even know what that means. I can't leave him. He's in me. Where I go, he goes. See, Ephesians, they, they chose to walk away. It says they left their first love. They didn't lose it. They left it. They made a choice. Why would you choose to walk away from love when you discovered a love that is eternal? Because you don't know it. And you get entangled in Christian good works because someone hasn't said, oh, stop the bus. Because all you know is good works because that's your flesh. It's your function. It's all you know how to do is do works. He says, oh, I want you to be still. But you can't be still because you don't know him. Be still and know I'm God. You can't be still, church, if you don't know God. The recipe for being still and at rest is knowing God. It says you must enter into his rest to stop striving from your works. I see a church full of works, full of striving and burning out, especially leadership. And there's no excuse for it outside of we're still sitting on the throne of our own lives because he promises you rest, not stress. And someone's got to declare it from the rooftop so someone can hear it. Otherwise, the pattern will just continue and more people will just be burnt out in the name of Jesus. And it's false worship. It's false idolatry. It's a false humility. It's not Him. But the gift doesn't come the way you think. It comes the way it needs to. You know, some of the best gifts are the gifts you need, not what you want. Sometimes kids, the best thing is when your parent is what you need, not what you want. My kids say, I don't like you, Dad. I hate you even. I love you. You need me to be this. So you don't become this little brat that you're being right now. He said the same thing to me. Greg, you need me to be like this to you. You need my no, not your yes. Because what you want, otherwise you will never become And it's happening right here. This was a wedding invitation. Have you received yours? Have you opened it? Are you getting ready? Do you even know what that means? Have you gone out and booked everything that women do when they want to get married? 
That is the physical. Are you getting ready? Have you let go of this and booked this? Have you changed this and grabbed hold of that? Are you getting ready through the word of God, eating the word, unpacking the eternal life? He's not coming back for a limp little church. He's coming back for a radiant, beautiful, spotless bride who becomes the church. We like to think we are it because we've received it, and partially that is true, but it's not the whole truth. It is a half-truth. It's like you be are a son, but you've got to become a son. It says you are light, but you've got to become light. And we just love half the story because it's good for our flesh. And this is what's happening with this woman. He says, I have been here today. I'm engaging with you because I want you to be the fullness of me in you. And he's saying the same thing today as well. Unwrap the eternal gift this year. Please unwrap it. You will be profoundly dumbfounded with everything he wants to show you. And you will go this. What has it taken me so long to figure this out? It's the great if. Hindsight is a great thing. Trust me, I'm speaking from experience. Knucklehead here. Nine years of resisting until the greatest day of my life was when I went and the vase broke into a thousand pieces and I couldn't put myself back together again. I did every other time, but not this time because there were too many pieces on the floor. I didn't even know where they'd gone. Under the dishwasher, under the fridge, out that way. How do I put it? You can't, Simnel. You go get a new vase. Up until this point, you've been polishing. You've got a dent here. You went to the panel beater. He knocked it out. You've got a bit of a crack, so you put some polyfill over that. That was called stupidity, son. I want to fill you with a vessel of glory through your surrender and your submission and your weakness to me. Only when you are weak can you be strong. I thought I was strong. Go in the gym to build a strong body. That's not how it's done, son. It's the opposite. Nothing wrong with going to the gym. Hear what I'm saying? So we have an opportunity now to receive. And you may have no comprehension at the moment, but something in you is going, Greg, I'm standing up right now in an agreement with what you've said. If you are, stand to your feet right now. I want to pray. If something in you is going, I know this is me. Only do it if you feel the spirit. Don't do it out of guilt. This is, not, this is a place of freedom because it, nothing will happen if it's just, oh my goodness, everyone's standing around me. The heart has to connect with the heart of the Father. It's just a timing thing. It might not be nothing. It's just, you know, you're in this life. It doesn't matter. Just If it's a response from the spirit, just stand with me. God, we love you. God, you know us more than we know us. And your desire, your desire is to fill us to an overflowing measure of your word and for us to partake, not just take the bits we like, but partake of every aspect of you, Father. 
and we are to eat you and drink you. Your word says, otherwise we have no life in us. Bring that to life, not just words on a page. God, give us teeth to eat your flesh. Give us a taste, buds, to drink your blood, God, that we would know what that is in the Spirit, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. We are standing as a response to your word today, and we are coming into an agreement. We may not understand it, God, but we believe to receive it. And Father, it's a step of trust today in you that you are going to do a work that you started, like you said, because our spirit today is is responding to the spiritual word of what we've heard. And you build your church, not man, but you use a man and a woman to bring your word that the spirit gets hold of and then does something within us that's supernatural. And so, Father, today we ask on the things we have no understanding of and we turn and we ask you to forgive us of maybe apathy or lack or a lack of God, but you love us as we do this. And then, Father, right now we ask you to fill us with a thirst for righteousness and a hunger for righteousness and a hunger, Lord, and a thirst to know you and to come to that place at the end of self where your love is waiting to fill us afresh and fill us up, that we would let go of our will, which is so powerful that keeps determining what it will and won't do. Smash that through your word today, Spirit of God. That we would be vessels, clay, that we truly allow you to mold. And we will take our hands off ourselves and just worship through surrender. No longer offering sacrifices of songs and money and works, but our body, our body, our entirety of our heart and our mind, our emotions, our will, our soul, we give. And so go to work and build us into the image of your Son, the Messiah. So Father, I thank you for the step of trust today in you. And as we leave here, God, we will seek you, learn from you, be yoked to you. And I ask you for myself, my brothers and sisters, that you would reveal the Christ, the gift, the eternal gift in us more and more. And may we be the fragrance that releases that knowledge into this earth for all to hear. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we not be ashamed of the Christ. Fill us with a boldness and a courage, but with wisdom to bring into the earth the utterances of heaven, your word, my Father. We pray and ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.